platform and going over to Brother Pugh and saying, this is why this is not bondage. We like the way we're living. We like this. This is our choice. Well, I feel sorry for someone who who has to obey the Scripture and live for God, and they really don't want to do it. But I'm having the time of my life. I may not appear to be, but I am over 21. And this is America. And I could do just whatever I wanted to do and live any way I wanted to live tonight. I could be in any church believing anything I chose to believe. But I'm here tonight delighted to be a New Testament born again child of God. Praise the Lord. I'm excited about this life. And uh, the, the joy and the excitement and the enthusiasm that I feel in this place tonight is just uh, it's a beautiful thing. This, this day has been a, a glorious day. I will not attempt to recap or reiterate or rehearse the messages that we heard today. But I did tell Brother Bass after we left the service today. You, you won't hear any higher caliber preaching anywhere. Right. I have been raised in uh, oneness, Pentecost, and I have been to all sorts and all kinds of meetings. I have listened to hundreds, probably thousands of preachers, and you're not ever going to hear higher caliber or better preaching than you heard today. Yeah. We, we heard from God today. It, it, was, it was better than what uh, any description of it would be. And uh, you who are, are here in this church and in this conference, you have no reason to feel left out of anything that may appear to be better somewhere else. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, do you really understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than this. You ought to be thankful and excited and thrilled that you're a part of this conference. And you're right here. Praise the Lord. Amen. And God bless Brother Bass and the church here and, and everyone who has participated in making uh, this conference what it is. I am thankful for the invitation uh, on my part to participate Uh after hearing the preachers today, if I were to allow myself to succumb to human feelings, uh, I would be embarrassed to preach tonight. However, since I have been chosen, I'm going to do my best. And I feel like God has something yet for us tonight. Yes. Amen. Now, the first part of what I will preach to you this evening... For you who are uh, intellectual, this may be too simplistic. All of you, you know who you are. This may be too elementary and too simplistic. But for all the rest of us, let us just chew around on a little while. And I have a purpose for my approach to the Word of the Lord tonight. 
And then maybe on down the way a little ways, we'll have something to throw out to some of you that uh, have to be challenged in your intellect a little more before you feel like that you have heard from God. I am reading from two very familiar passages of Scripture tonight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause shall God, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, most of us here tonight believe that this is a foretelling of Scripture believe that the Apostle Paul was inspired to predict supernaturally the events and the circumstances that would exist at the coming of the Antichrist, as we have labeled him. But we are also aware of the fact tonight that this procedure or this circumstance can exist at any time, even presently. And the portions of Scripture I want us to note in particular tonight are those found in verse number 10 and 11. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of of the truth. Everybody say love of the truth. Everybody say it again. Love of the truth. Let's say it one more time. Love of the truth. And then in verse number 11. Scripture said. God shall send them strong delusion. That they should believe a lie. And then I want to read. Also a very familiar verse, Jude chapter 1, the last chapter, the book of Jude, verse number 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Praise the Lord. If anyone is here tonight and you have not and do not feel the presence of the Holy Ghost, I can't imagine what is wrong with you. I feel the power and the presence of God in this place tonight. 
Now, I hope you'll allow me. I don't want to get in a hurry tonight. But neither will I hold you past the anointing. I, I, I don't like to preach without the anointing. So if it lifts, I quit. But I, I do want us to convey some things tonight and help instill some things in your heart. Strengthen your faith. And... Uh, Give us a little clearer understanding, maybe, of some of the things that are happening in the Spirit today. Let's ask God to direct us tonight. Dear Jesus, I pray that you will continue to work in this service. I have felt your presence, Lord, from the very first song. I have rejoiced in, in your presence in this building tonight. Your people have been blessed with the moving and the pulsating of your Spirit. But now, God, as we come to the most important time of any gathering of your people, the time when you would speak, I pray, O oh God, that, that your spirit would have free course and that your word would accomplish its purpose tonight. Touch my mind, Jesus. Touch my heart and my lips. I pray, O oh God, that you will touch this congregation. Do a mighty and a glorious work in this place tonight. Amen. Tonight our subject is lovers of truth. Everybody say that with me. Lovers of truth. Shake a few people's hands and say it's sure good to be in church tonight. In the third verse of this chapter in Jude that I have read to you from, we, we notice the urgency with which the writer is delivering this message. He said, Beloved, when I give, gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful. It wasn't just um, something that I thought I might do to fill in some time in my day. But it was needful for me to write it to you. It was important. It was necessary. And to exhort you that you should earnestly, earnestly contend for the faith. I want you to notice the, the word faith in this passage of Scripture. A lot of times when we read the word faith, we are thinking of or we think of some sort of positive mindset. And we try to work that up. We try to create that. A lot of ways we try to create it. We try to sing songs about it. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Hoping that if we sing it enough and sing it loud enough and sing it fast enough, we'll get some more faith. Amen. That's the life that we we think of this scriptural term faith in often. And there are times in scripture that it is closer to that concept than it is in this particular passage. What it actually means in this verse of scripture when we read the phrase the faith that you should earnestly contend for the faith. What it is in reality saying to us 
in speaking of is the embodiment or the body of truth. The body of truth. The precious truths that were originally and first of all delivered unto the saints. Amen. The, the whole New Testament concept, the premises upon which the church were built, the doctrines that were taught by Jesus Christ and the apostles. He is saying, I am writing to you, and I find it needful to write to you that you would earnestly contend for this body of truths that were originally given to the church. He wasn't telling us, uh, I, I want you to work real hard on building up your, your positive frame of mind so that you might embrace the promises of the scripture. He was not telling us, I want you to have stronger faith or contend for faith so that you might pray for the sick and the sick would be healed. He was saying to us, I, I have observed the circumstances of our day and I felt like by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that it was necessary for me to sit down and write to you and explain that it is needful for you to earnestly, not casually, not nonchalantly, but earnestly contend for the faith that was originally given to the church. Praise the Lord. Now, I think that it is significant to note tonight that we are instructed on this occasion by the Word of God to contend. Can you imagine the Holy Bible Brother Young is actually telling us on this occasion to contend. Now you may not find that as amazing as I do. Because probably you have not experienced some of the things that I have experienced. But some people seem to be of the opinion that it is never proper and it is never in order and it is never righteous to contend. All contention in their minds is evil. If you contend in any manner, you have to be careful lest you be labeled as contentious. Well, I have come to tell you tonight, at least in this sense, I don't mind you labeling me as a contentious man. I've had fingers pointed at me, accusations made, negative statements that I was contentious. And I don't want to be evil. I don't want to be bad. I wouldn't be here tonight. I wouldn't be trying to live for God. I wouldn't be trying to please God with everything that is in me. If I had any desire to have an evil heart, and the accusation was made in such a way that I felt like something must be wrong with me. And so I searched my heart. But in prayer, 
discover that the very things that I was contending for were a part of the body of truths that the Lord gave the church in the beginning. I concluded that my contention was in order. Praise God. Everybody who take us, takes a stand in this present day that we are living in and declares the whole counsel of God to the best of their ability does not have a bad spirit. As a matter of fact, if you are a preacher and you are not contending for the truths that were originally delivered to the church, then I'm afraid you might have a bad spirit. Every quiet spirit's not a good spirit. Every so-called humble spirit is not necessarily a humble spirit. I think we misunderstand humbleness often. I think we misunderstand meekness. Now, please don't think tonight that I am of the attitude or of the opinion or that it's my desire to use the Word of God in a destructive manner. It's not my intent nor my desire to ever hurt or damage or to tear down that that God has established and intends to be present in a person's life. But there are occasions that it is right to contend. I liked Brother Young's message today. I not only liked the content, I liked the spirit in which it was preached. I could almost see him dig his heels in and square his shoulders and say, Devil, if you want to fight, I'm here to fight. I am ready to declare war on the devil. I am ready to contend. There are some things we had better be ready to contend for in this present day in which we live. Praise the Lord. Amen. And the scripture lets us to know that contending for, fighting for, if you please. Now, I know that the very thought, and I'm going slow here on purpose. Just hang on. Bear with me. I know the very concept or the very thought or idea of fighting or, or, or contending. We, we think of it negatively. We think that's not Christian-like. That's not right. And I, I must agree that most fighting and most contending that goes on in this world is not of God. It's born out of hatred. It's born out of an evil heart. It's not pleasing to God. But there comes a time, according to the word of the Lord, and in particular this passage of Scripture, that contending is in order. Don't point a finger at me and call me contentious in an evil light when I am simply standing for and declaring openly the precepts that God established in His church when He gave birth to it in this world. Praise the Lord. 
Now what I really want to preach about tonight is why. Why it is important to love and to contend for. Why it is important to love and to contend for the truth or the faith that was originally given to the church. We need first of all to contend for this truth or the faith that was delivered to the church. Because the devil is out to steal it away from us or to contaminate it if he can. Now this is the part I'm saying is too elementary for most of you. I know all of you know that. I know everybody in this building is aware of the fact that the devil's out to steal this truth away from us and to contaminate it. Everybody of a sound mind who understands who God is and what he represents and who the devil is and what he represents ought to be aware of the fact that the devil is our arch enemy. And if he understands and he does, knows the value of this message and truth, He'll want to do everything he can to contaminate it and steal it and take it from the church. In Matthew the 16th chapter, Jesus Christ called his disciples aside for a while. It is a very special occasion in scripture to me. When Jesus separated himself and his closest disciples from the multitudes and the crowds that surrounded him. And I see them now in my mind's eye, no doubt reclining on the side of a little hill. And, and they were resting. And there was only casual conversation that transpired between them. Jesus seemed to ask the question off the cuff, if you please. Who do men say that I am? They kind of kicked it around a little bit. One of them said, well, I heard somebody the other day. They were of the opinion that you were John the Baptist. I listened to somebody else talking the other day and they thought that you might be Elijah that has arisen from the dead. Somebody else there in the little group said uh, others think that, uh, that you're another one of the great prophets that has, has lived and somehow has been resurrected. Jesus let those words die into the stillness of the evening. But now he lifts his head. And they feel his piercing gaze as he looks upon them with great interest and curiosity. And he asks them the next question. But who do you say that I am? That's what I really wanted to know. I just kind of introduced my question with the previous questions. What I am really interested in, who do you think that I am? It's not my subject tonight, but I can't pass by this portion of Scripture without being thrilled. The Apostle Peter was the first to answer. He leapt to his feet, no doubt, and pointed a finger in the direction of Jesus Christ. He said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to be first to answer that question. I know who you are. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe you wonder why that thrills me so much. But you have to understand who was answering that question. He wasn't, he wasn't a modern day Trinitarian. 
wasn't a heathen who believed in the multiplicities of gods or personalities within the Godhead. But the man that said, Thou art the Christ, was a Hebrew from his birth. Amen. They are more oneness than we'll probably ever be. They believe Isaiah 9-6 if they don't believe the New Testament. When Peter said, Thou art the Christ, he said, I believe Isaiah 9 and 6. I believe you're the son. Hallelujah. I believe you're the child. I believe you're the mighty God. I believe you're the everlasting Father. You'll never get a Hebrew to accept anything other than the fact that when the Messiah comes, when the Christ does arrive, they may not believe that he is here, but they do believe when he gets here, he will be the fleshly manifestation of the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth. When Peter pointed his finger at Jesus and said, Thou art the Christ, he said, The one, you're the one that hung the sun over yonder. You're the one that caused the trees to be we said in the shade of today, you're the God that spoke to Abraham. You're the God that talked to Moses. You're the God that inspired the prophets. You're the God that raised the manna. You're the God that sent the call on the wings of the wind. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so, after he had made that declaration, Jesus said to Peter, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you. You didn't learn this little lesson, Peter. Reading the textbook somewhere. You didn't get this lesson listening to somebody give a little lecture in a seminary. This came to you by divine revelation. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not, shall not, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. I believe in predestination. Yes, sir. I'm not afraid to tell you that. I don't believe in predestination of the individual. But I believe in predestination of the church. Devil, you hear me tonight. If you're hanging out around here anywhere, I want you to hear it all over again. This church is built upon a rock. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Through the centuries... Since the birth of the church, the devil has done everything he knows to do to destroy the church. In this passage of scripture, and in this statement by Jesus Christ, he, he chose his words, I am sure, carefully. And the meaning that was conveyed is more than what we observe immediately on the surface. But he used the term, the gates of hell. Now, there are many, many messages that could be derived from, from those words. But it was a well-known fact to all of those that Jesus spoke on that occasion. The gates of the city 
in scriptural times was the place where important decisions took place. You, you'll find this term often in, in scripture. The fact that Lot sat at the gate of the city lets us to know that he was a man of preeminence in his city. He was a man who no doubt made judgments. It was at the gate of the city that important decisions for the city were made. Planning took place at the gate of the city before the military leaders of a particular city would ever arm themselves and go to battle. They would meet together at the designated place at the gate of the city. And there they would decide upon their course of action on the battlefield. I am convinced at least in part that that's what Jesus was telling his disciples and all of us on that occasion. He was saying it matters not what comes from the masterminds of the powers of darkness. It matters not what evil plan may be concocted in the mind of Satan or all of his fallen legions. I am here to tell you this is my personal announcement. Never before in the scripture have the church been directly spoken of. But Jesus chose this special intimate occasion alone with his disciples to announce his establishing of a church in the world. And he was saying, boys, this is not a temporary thing. This is not something I'm going to start and then it's going to be all over with in a little while. This is not something I will establish and then the devil will be able to tear it down. But upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against that. All through the course of the history of the church. You don't have to be a great scholar of history, church history to understand and know and have heard of the fact that the enemy has done everything he could to stop the church. He doesn't like the church. That was an open challenge to the devil. And the devil has done everything he could to stop this church. I'm sorry, I know most of us like to be liked. And we try to do things to be liked. We try to gain favor of people. And that's just part of our makeup. That's why peer pressure can be so intense. We as human beings, it's important to us. And I don't want to offend you and disappoint you tonight. But the devil doesn't like you. He doesn't like us. And he liked to destroy the church. I could take the time tonight to enumerate many and different and various attempts of the devil to destroy the church. But let it suffice to say tonight that his most successful device has always been false doctrine. There is nothing the devil has ever done that has hindered the church in the earth like the initiation and the creation of false doctrine. I believe that the doctrine of the Trinity came from the mind of Satan himself and 
has been one of the greatest hindrances to the decline of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the earth of everything that the devil has ever invented. Amen. Praise the Lord. The devil is out to contaminate the church and to steal our message and to infiltrate the truth with false premises and doctrines. It is his design. It is his conscious intent. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? The devil has planned on it. It is his will. It is his purpose to steal from us some of, if not all of, the body of truth that was originally given to the church. My God, we need something to come all over us for we will stand tall in this present day and look the devil in the eye and say, Sir, I want you to understand I will give every drop of blood I've got for this glorious gospel that Jesus Christ instilled in the church. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now that's not a bad spirit. That's a good spirit. I want you to understand that. When a man gets red in the face and he says that, that's not a bad spirit. That's a good spirit. A preacher can't do that. I'm afraid he doesn't have a good spirit. If he can stand by and allow the precious body of truth that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ to be slowly stolen away and contaminated and infiltrated with false doctrine. I'm afraid there's something wrong with his spirit. God give us men in this day just previous to the coming of Jesus Christ that are not fearful to contend for the faith. We have heard it this afternoon. There will be rejoicing in our heart. There will be a thanksgiving in our souls tonight because we have heard men Permanent hearts with red hot faith earnestly contend for the faith. Clap your hands with me if you will. Praise the Lord. I wouldn't have time tonight to preach about all of this body of truth. That the Lord has given to the church. We, we don't preach about it all in a year's time. But I'd like to bring to your attention tonight. Never preached this before in my life. But I just got inspired last night hearing some of the brethren talk. I got to preach this. I saw red. Not because of what they said. Because of what somebody said. What they said somebody said. Oh, I, my, my blood pressure went up. Maybe it was today. Somewhere I heard it. I don't even know if it was true, but just the possibility of somebody saying it. I'm telling you, it sent my mind to spinning. I thank God for this body of truth that He's given the church. I thank God for the faith that the Scripture said earnestly contend for. I'm telling you, I love it. I love it with a red hot love. 
I love it with a zealous love. I love it with a fervent love. I'm not playing games. I'm not going for the motions. I'm not just doing this because I don't have anything else to do. I love this faith. I love this truth. Praise God. Amen. Repentance is a part of this thing. Identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through repentance, water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ. I said water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, all of you that are saying, preacher, don't waste your time preaching that to us tonight. Are probably the very ones I need to preach to. If something doesn't spark in your soul every time a God-led, Holy Ghost-filled man of God broaches the subject of water baptism in Jesus' name, you've lost your love for it. There ought to be something in your heart that thrills every time you hear it talked about. Hallelujah! Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of the faith that was originally given to the saints. You know it was. You know it was one of the first things declared in the New Testament church. It's not something that doesn't make any difference. It's not something that's not important. It's not something that can casually be cast aside. I'm telling you, this is the faith that the Holy Word of God tells us we ought to earnestly contend for. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I still like to preach about Acts chapter 2. I still like to preach about the 48th verse. I still like to preach about Acts chapter 8. I still like to preach about Acts chapter 10. I still get excited preaching about Acts chapter 19. Oh, well, that's not important to me anymore, preacher. I'm afraid something's wrong. I'm afraid you've missed something along the way. I'm afraid there's a, there's a gap in your understanding. I'm afraid that you've failed to grasp that this is a treasure. I'm telling you, this is a treasure. This is a treasure. It's a pearl of great price. Don't try to take it away from me. Don't treat it as though it's something that can be cast aside. This is something, my God, descended from the splendors of heaven to purchase and bring to pass. And I love it. You can be seated. Baptism of the Holy Ghost. Identification with the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a part of this body of truth. It is. Well, don't take time preaching on that, Brother Keys. You've already been preaching a half an hour. You don't understand. I'm feeling better all the time. Let me tell you something. There was no such thing as a Christian in New Testament times that wasn't full of the Holy Ghost. And they all spoke in tongues when they got it. I said there were no such a thing as Christians, quote, unquote, that weren't full of the Holy Ghost. 
and then to speak in other tongues. We're talking about the faith that was delivered unto the saints. Every Christian in New Testament times had the Holy Ghost baptism. Well, let's just have them confess Christ. Don't do that around me. Don't even play games about that around me. Don't even, don't even tease me about it. Don't, don't even... No, you see, this is too sacred for that. This is the faith that was given to the church. And I know that the devil has set it in his plan. He has determined in his, his mind... In his devious mind, he has decided, somehow, I am going to steal away from the church portions of this body of truth that was originally given to it. If I can accomplish that, I will disarm the church. If I can accomplish that, the church will cease to be the church. It may carry the label of the church, but it is no longer the church. If I can subtract from the original body of truth that the church was established upon, then I can destroy and overcome and defeat the church. But I thank God this church was established on a promise. It may not be you and it may not be me. But I promise you, sir, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord catches a church out of this world, there is going to be a repenting, Jesus' name baptized, Holy Ghost-filled, tongue-talking church that gets raptured out of this world. I need to hurry. Amen. Doctrine of separation was a part of the body of truth that was originally given to the church. It certainly was. I said it certainly was. Let me let me help you understand that the doctrine of separation has more scripture supporting it than the doctrine of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to be careful not to get offended because the Word of God does say, Blessed are they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But I get real close to it. When folks, in a spirit of arrogance and superior knowledge, look at a preacher and imply an implicate of a preacher who fervently and openly and without fear, as we have heard today, declares the doctrine of separation from the world. And convey the, convey the message that, well, well, just let me tell you some of the things I've been called. You have too. They have called me a red-eyed radical. You ever had that one? I got that one too. 
I've been called a redneck. Whatever that means. Ah, that's just those rednecks. I'll tell you what. I really don't feel like I'm very intelligent, but most of those fellas that say that, I'd be happy. I would be happy to take an IQ test in the same room and make comparisons of our scores with them. I wouldn't hesitate one second. Amen. I'm telling you, it, it, it's not a mark of illiteracy or, or lack of intelligence to declare and contend for premises that were instilled in the church from its beginning. We're not out on a limb. We're not creating some strange new pad of a doctrine. I'm talking about a doctrine that began in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. I'm talking about a doctrine that started when God said to the father of the faithful, come you out and be a separate. You can't stay here and be my man. You've got to leave this environment. You can't live in this. You've got to have a different lifestyle. You've got to talk different, act different, live different, be different. Hallelujah. Amen. It wasn't a doctrine that was born uh, last year, a few years ago, hundred years ago. It's not something we picked up from the Methodists. You just read it, friend. You study about it. If there was ever anything that God reiterated and rehearsed to His nation Israel over and over again, you've got to separate yourself from the heathen. You can't accept their lifestyle. You can't accept their values. You can't embrace their judgments. You can't be like them. You... Hey, I wouldn't let Abraham do it, and I wouldn't let Israel all through these centuries do it, but I'll tell you what, when it comes to the church, you can go everywhere they go and do everything they do and see how much you can get like them so they'll like you and accept you and, and then they will hear your gospel. No, sir. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, picked up his pen and dipped it in the ink of eternal truth and reiterated what God had said to Abraham centuries before. Come yet and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters saith the Lord Hallelujah. Amen you know what I've discovered these I don't know which one of your brethren was talking about but I've discovered that these people who feel like that this kind of preaching and this message doesn't you just don't preach that that's not a part of the gospel Uh, you just preach, repent, get baptized in Jesus' name and go easy on that. And you'll get the Holy Ghost one of these days. And you stop there. And the other is not the gospel. I'm telling you tonight, it's as much a part of the gospel. It's as much a part of the faith as anything that's in that Bible. It's as much a part of what God wanted us to contend for as the oneness of God. In Jesus' name, baptism and Holy Ghost infilling. And we're not a part of the New Testament church if we don't have it. I said we're not. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The doctrine of separation, friend, was the apostles' doctrine. But 
you know, you guys just get, you're just too radical. Now, I'll I, I grant you. I'll grant you. What? Tangents. Oh, I thought you said pantsers. Let me preach about that. Uh, since he brought it up, or I thought he did. You know what? I had a fellow tell me one time. He said, and this man, I thought he had better sense. He said, you know, you know in scriptural times, everyone wore robes. Everyone wore robes, so why, why make a difference about ladies? You know, ladies' pants can be ladies' pants. And, and that was his premise, because the scripture, when it talked about a woman not wearing that that pertained to a man, and that it was abomination to God, then it wasn't talking about pantsuits. And uh, he said, because everybody wore robes. I looked at him in the eye, and he was about six foot three. So I lifted my chin, and I said, sir, let me explain to you. You are correct, absolutely correct. In scriptural times, everyone wore robes. They didn't, they didn't have pants as we know them in our day. But you must also understand that the women's robe was different from the man's robe. And have you ever heard the term in the scripture about girding up your loins? He said, yes, I've heard that. I said, how many times in the Bible did you ever find that where sex was delineated and it applied to a woman? He said, well, I, I don't recall ever, ever seeing that. The reason was a woman's garment was not cut so that she could gird up her loins to perform tasks that were indecent for her to do in her lady's garment. What I'm saying, if you can't do it in a dress, lady, don't do it. The man's garment, the man's garment was cut. I'm telling you the truth tonight. So that he can reach to the back part of his garment, pull it across his loins, and tuck it in his belt. And he went to battle and rode a beast or whatever he needed to do. But only men guarded up their loins. It was never tolerated. Thank you. I wasn't going to do that. But I'm here to tell you tonight. Separation from the world. Distinction in our dress. Is as much a part of God's holy word and his plan for the New Testament church as any other doctrine we preach. We're not wrong. We're not out in left field. We're not off base. We're not a strange people that don't know what we're talking about. I'm telling you, separation from the world is right. It's time somebody stands and will not be intimidated and look everybody in the eye and say it's God's word. I won't back down. I won't change it. Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Come on, let's worship God some more. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. God's taking us somewhere. God's going to do something for us tonight. 
Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Young, every time one of those things happens, those seven you listed and enumerated today, but whenever time one of those things happens, whether it's a preacher who becomes weary, or he loses his seal, or, or whatever those seven are, every time one of those things happens concerning his preaching of the doctrine of separation, hell rejoices. I'm telling you, the devil rejoices. The devil saying, we got them where we want them. We've got them headed in the direction of the world. It'll not be long until we have completely destroyed them as a church. Devil has learned thousands of years of experience that his most successful attack on the church is to destroy its message. One of the reasons that we need to contend for this faith is because the devil wants to destroy Amen. Apostolic worship. Holy Ghost worship. Holy Ghost worship is a doctrine. It is a part of the body of truth that God gave the church in the beginning. Amen. It sure is. Now, go ahead and say hallelujah real loud or I'll preach about that for 15 minutes. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it's that Bible that said praise Him in the dance. It's the Word of God that said clap your hands, oh, you people. It's the inspired book that said the lifting up of our hands is as the lifting up of the evening sacrifice. I didn't see anybody do it, but we do it at home. Hey, man, I got, I got to looking at all these people running the aisles at home one night. And I thought, my God, what if somebody asked me for scripture on that? And the Holy Ghost just said, hey, man, they're just feeling what David felt. We sang about it tonight. He said, I can run through a tree. Hallelujah. I hope I'm not getting some. Something happened to the prophet when he outran the chariot. Don't tell me there is no such thing as running in the spirit. Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. Let me just summarize. I've preached in hundreds of churches across the country in my years as an evangelist. And even now while I'm pastoring, I go considerably. But let me tell you something. It is those churches that have retained and maintained an atmosphere of Holy Ghost worship. Where people worship God with enthusiasm and without inhibition. And they give God everything they've got as they come to the house of the Lord to worship them. It's in those churches that the altars are fruitful and the waters of baptism are It's in those churches that the Spirit of the Holy Ghost revival flows freely. Uh, Believe me, I went through a little spell in my ministry where I decided I wanted some polish. You can be seated. I decided I was going to learn to articulate my messages and 
be careful with my denunciation. How do you say it? And, yeah, Brother Young can do it and still be anointed. Not many of us can do that. I'm glad he at least sweats. It bothered me if he didn't sweat. Praise God. Hallelujah. I just thought I'd learn how to do it, and I, I, I would just kind of tone down wherever I preach. Try to, you know, cultivate a little sophistication so that we didn't demean ourselves with such strange conduct in church services. Tried to have revival for two or three months like that as an evangelist. Couldn't get anybody to pray through the Holy Ghost. Couldn't get anything done. I was quickly becoming the most unsuccessful evangelist in Pentecost. So I said, God, I don't know what the screaming does. And I don't know what all this head shaking does. I don't understand it. I'm saying more about it now than I did then. Amen. I'm telling you, i got to get back to what I'm preaching about. Amen. But when Jesus said he's looking for worshipers that will worship him in spirit, he's talking about spirit and worship. He wasn't, even, he wasn't even saying the Holy Ghost. He said, I want some worship that's got your spirit in it. It's got some life. You ever rode a spirited horse? You need to get on one. You'll understand that scripture. He's a dancing and he's a chomping at the bits. And he's raring to go. He's just a quivering. He wants to run. He's excited. Jesus said, when you come to worship me, I don't want any mournful tunes on the piano or the organ. I don't want any dead dry formalism and ritualism. I want somebody that's got spirit. I want somebody that's excited. I want somebody that's enthused. I want somebody that wants to worship me. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, the devil would like to steal it from us. The devil would like to intimidate us about it, just like he tried to do David. But oh, help us to have David's spirit. If you think I was wild the last time, you watch me worship God next time. Hallelujah. This is not some strange idea that some man had about worship. You, you, you need to read about David's tabernacle. You need to understand that spirit worship was what God always wanted. This is not our idea. This is not something that we have created out of a Pentecostal culture. This is God's way. This is a part of the faith. This is a part of the body of truth that God put in the New Testament church in the beginning. God forbid that we ever lose it. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, let's clap our hands to the Lord again. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Everything that's involved. Evangelism is a doctrine. It's a part of the faith. Don't tell me that all there is to the faith is repentance, water, baptism, and Jesus. 
I love was he, he, he was just he was just off on this point. Was preaching here a while back, and he said, "You can't. I need to be careful. You can't preach doctrine. You can't preach holiness. You can't preach holiness. You have to teach." As though the holiness, because he, he was distinguishing between truth of repentance, truth of Holy Ghost baptism, truth of water baptism in Jesus' name, and the truth of holiness. And cutting up little lines saying, this you can preach and this you can teach. I'm telling you, we have one faith. <laughs> and that faith has all kinds of sides to it, but it's still all the faith. And we preach it, friend. We preach it. We preach every bit of it. We preach the whole counsel of God. You better preach it. They'll not believe it if you don't preach it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, let me go to the second half of my message. No. I won't call it a half. But number one... We need to contend for the faith because the devil wants to steal this away from us. Number two, if we don't love it, this is for those of you who have to have something a little weightier to think about. And you have to sit there and analyze what's said. I'll give you something to analyze. Those of you that won't love and contend for the truth of the faith, God will take it. God will take it away from you. If you think the devil's good at it, you just wait till God goes to work on you. If you don't love this, you don't have to worry about it. It won't hang around. If this truth of the New Testament is not precious to you, you don't have to worry. You'll not always believe it. God will work a work in your heart to cause you to no longer believe the truth. I said, God will do it. I read it to you tonight. Those that would not receive a love for truth, God, who? God would send them a strong delusion. There was a time in Israel's history when Ahab was king during that span of time he preached about today when there was constant conflict with Syria and Ahab wanted to defeat the Syrians and regain Ramoth Gilead. He realized that his military forces were not sufficient to accomplish that. And so he approached Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. He said, if you'll come and join with me, we together, we together can unite our military forces and we can defeat Syria. Jehoshaphat was a man. He made his first mistake by even considering joining himself in league 
with the wicked king Ahab. But he was a man who at least in part wanted to do what the Lord would have him to do. So he said to Ahab, he said, I'll tell you what, I will join with you in battle. If, if we can hear from the Lord that it's his will. Do you have any prophets that we can ask about concerning the will of God in this matter? He said, well, oh yeah, I, I, I've got a bunch of them will work for me. They're on the payroll. I'll tell you what, we'll just have us a big party and we'll have them all preach and we'll see what they got to say. So they, they had a great big gathering. And Jehoshaphat sat on one throne and Ahab sat on the other. They wrapped themselves in royal robes and sat before the, the crowd and the throng and, and began to bring these preachers or prophets by one at a time. To inquire of them concerning the will of God in this matter. Oh, they came and declared the will of God so eloquently. They, they, they said over and over again, one after the other. Now we have heard five preachers today. They had 400 that day. Now they weren't as long-winded as us, so they wouldn't have had time in one day. But every one of them. 400 of them came by. And in their own unique style. And with their own homiletical manner. They expounded to the kings. How that the Lord would be pleased for them to join together. To go to battle against the Syrians. And that God would most certainly give them the victory. I, I'm just a little bit convinced that somehow Ahab got word to them about what he wanted. Just a little sneaking suspicion. After it's all over with, Jehoshaphat said, Man, don't you have don't you have just one man when we when we hear him preach, we know we've really heard from God. After hearing four hundred preachers, Jehoshaphat Still didn't feel like he had really heard from God. And Ahab said, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't want But I hate him. He said it. He said, I hate him. Now, Ahab was one of the most wicked kings that ever lived. Consequently, one of the most evil men that ever lived. And more than that, he allowed his wife, who was more evil than him, to control the kingdom. And so there wasn't a whole lot that any godly man could say about him in the way of compliments. But he said, every time this man preaches, he says bad things about me. <laughs> All of the audacity. I don't like his preaching. I don't even pay him. He lives all in you. He don't live here in the, where, where I live in my courts. and He doesn't eat at my table. He lives off somewhere in a cave somewhere. Some of the fellas know where he's at. Well, send for him. So they went to get Micaiah. And one of the fellas did him a favor when they went to get him. They informed him ahead of time what Ahab wanted him to say. Now, said all the boys have been in there preaching already, and they all said it's okay. 
Hey, I walked in there, stood before those teens, put his hand on his hip, and mimicked all the other guys. Go on to battle, and the Lord will be with you, and the Lord will give you the victory. And Ahab knew what he was doing and got mad. He said, how many times have I told you to only tell me what God said? said any such thing. He wasn't even interested in any such thing. Then the heat of his anger, he makes such a rash statement. Okay, I look back at him. The word of God began to flow from him. Hallelujah. He said, I saw God sitting on his throne. And I saw the host of heaven surrounding the throne of God. And God said, whom can I send to deceive Ahab? This didn't happen in hell. This happened in heaven. I'm not quite finished preaching tonight. Amen. And one spirit came and stood before the Lord and said, I will go and do in such a manner. And then another came and said, I will go in such a manner. And another came and said, I will go in such a manner. And one finally came and said, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophet. God anointed the prophet to preach a lie. Oh, Brother Keith, when I go over there, everything's great. The Spirit of the Lord is moving. Things are happening. People are being healed. Great things are happening. I'm telling you, if you think the devil's a deceiver, you just let God go to work on you. You know what the only thing in the world is that will keep you in this day of deception? Friend, with tears on your cheek and an altar of prayer, you had better learn to love this book for God. Be a treasure to you, and it better be something you don't want anybody, anything to take away from you. You better love it. You better learn to love this book. You'll be swept away in God's deception. Adam say, Brother Bass, Brother Keys to me. I just, it just felt so good. You could feel God. And it's the very mistake that Isaac made when he blessed Jacob. He went by feeling alone. The hair of the gold on Jacob's neck and on his arms. So it doesn't quite sound right, but it feels right. You understand me? Listen. After all the feelings over with, friend, tell me what you believe. Tell me what you're preaching. Tell me what you're standing for. Tell me how to be saved. Tell me what's right. Tell me what you believe the Word of God says. That's what I want to know. I want to hear. I want to know what your doctrine is. I want to know what your message is. I want to know if it aligns with the original precept of the New Testament church. I want to hear what you've got to say. Let's lift our hands and love God together.
Hallelujah. For the life of me, I don't understand how some feel that it weakens our position to, to maintain and retain the original premises of the New Testament church. I mean, in the light of evangelism. Brother Bass, I'm sorry I'm preaching this long tonight, but I've just got to go a little while longer. There's a few things I've just got to say. If anybody here that doesn't know me and you think a preacher who preaches like that, he must, he must drive everybody away from his church. He must not be interested in anybody being saved. He must not believe in evangelism. I invite you to come to our city and be with us for a while. Amen. I make it a practice most of the time when I preach away from my pulpit never to tell what goes on in our city or our church because I don't want anything that we body to think that we boast. But God has mercifully and and without our deserving has blessed our church with with wonderful revival. We will have almost every Sunday morning at least 800 people in attendance. Every Sunday night, six to 700 people in attendance. Several hundred on Wednesday night, even though we live in a city where there's much shift work. Every Wednesday night, several hundred people. People get the Holy Ghost in every service. They're baptized in water almost every service. Never hardly a week goes by, but what there are not several who have been baptized in Jesus' name. We have numerous and several. I'm telling you this for purpose, please. I want you to understand, I'm not a negative, non-revivalistic preacher tonight. And I'm here to let you know what I'm preaching to you and the position that you have seen preachers take in this service tonight will not stymie Holy Ghost. Praise God. You don't have to let down what they want you to be to have Holy Ghost. In the last year and a half, as a result of the ministry of our church, hundreds of people in the Fiji Islands have been baptized in the name of Jesus and filled with the Holy Ghost. And we have established churches. I don't, I don't say this uh, negatively, but outside the Foreign Missions Department of the UPC, we have brought them under the canopy of the organization. I, I don't say that to say that we're trying to establish something for ourselves. We, we got every one of them under that canopy. Now, you can have your own opinion about whether we should or not, but we did. Anyway, and in, in just the last few months, we have successfully been able to, to get into prisons in our area and baptize. We have one, one group of men, uh, young men in one prison of about 50 who are Holy Ghost filled. And, and I'm telling you, they're Holy Ghost tigers. Amen. Just the last two weeks, God opened the door for the UPC and Modesto that... We have now gotten into the San Quentin prison, the big Q. If you don't know anything about San Quentin, that's where death row is for California. And we are the only, only church at this point that is being allowed to get into death row. On death row in San Quentin, we right now have several candidates for baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And as soon as they can make all the arrangements, because it's a big deal, they have to take guards and they have to bring in uh, uh, big containers of water. And they, it costs the, the state extra money to, for the extra guards. They have to shackle these men. 
and, and take them to a place of baptism. We're going to baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ. These men have a nationwide publication that that they've had Rex Humbard and all of his cohorts have been writing in and, and all of that business. And it goes nationwide uh, to all of the prisons. And, and they've had this publication going. But since we have got in there, they said, uh, we're turning this thing over to you. Pastor Keys, we want you to write. And we're, we're going to send your messages to all of these prisons. And, and, and on and on I could go. I, I have dozens of buses. And, and I have all kinds, every kind of evangelistic effort that I can think of. I, I believe that evangelism is a part of the of the faith that was delivered under the church in the beginning. I believe we've got to have it. Don't think of me as a negative preacher that doesn't believe in revival and doesn't believe in reaching the world and that every preacher who assumes this position must not be getting much done or reaching anybody with this gospel. I'm here to tell you, preaching holiness is not going to hurt Holy Ghost revival. Preaching the precepts of the New Testament church is not going to hinder you in getting the work of God done in the world and the entire... Hallelujah. Amen. Moses was calling God from the burning bush. And uh, when he went in there to meet Pharaoh, he, he remembered the burning bush. It was there at the burning bush that God had called him. He said, God, I can't do it. And he, One of the things he said, I have just two quick points and I'll let, allow you to go tonight. But one of the things he said to God is, they won't hearken unto my voice. Israel won't hearken unto my voice. They won't believe me. They're not going to believe me. I'm just, just like some of us preachers feel. God, you sent us to this world. How do you expect them to listen to us? Just me. God seemed not to even pay any attention to what Moses was saying. And asked him a question that seemed to be clear out of the blue and Completely irrelevant to the subject. He said, what do you got in your hand? God, we were talking about Israel believing me and following me out of their bondage. And God said, throw it down. He threw it down and became a snake. Pretty good trick. What Bible school did you learn that in? That's just the point. That's just the point. Moses didn't turn that rod into a snake. Moses was saying, God was saying to Moses, Moses, if you go and preach my message of deliverance, my message, I'll go with you and endow you with supernatural works that will cause them to believe. But if you don't preach my message, you don't have that promise. So he got into the Pharaoh's courts and showed sure out Pharaoh didn't believe him. So he threw his fraud down. All right, God. Told you you wouldn't believe me. Plump. And that old stick turned into a snake. Started slivering around on that shiny palace floor. Pharaoh wasn't even impressed. Just picked his toes up. Crooked his finger. Called his magicians. They come running out there. Threw their rods down. Now you can think what you want to think. You can think they were trading snakes if you want to. That knew how to stand rigid and look like staffs. The Bible says they did it. Those sticks turned into snakes. You read it again. They did it. They had the power to do it. 
Oh, I know folks get healed out there. I don't need to argue about that. The Antichrist would probably be one of the most fluent tongue talkers that ever walked on the face of the earth. He's going to pray for the sick and they're going to get healed. Talk about church. My Lord, you think, well, anyway, they're going to have church. Antichrist is coming. He's coming as much like Christ as he can. People will think him to be the Christ. Amen. It's not much of a delusion if it doesn't appear to be the real thing. God is going to make it look as real as he can make it look. Because he don't want you in his bride if you don't love his truth. He'll sort you out. He's not going to spend his eternity with folks that don't love this from the top of their head to the bottom of their head. His bride is going to be made up of people that have a red hot love for his precious, sacred, holy truth. Amen. Well, God... What? You want us to preach revival and miracles and signs and wonders and the power of God and preach Jesus' name baptism at the same time and holiness and all of this? Uh, people are unimpressed because they're, they're having signs and wonders and miracles. Just don't worry about it. Just keep your rod on the floor. Don't go pick it up and be intimidated and run and hide in the corner. That's just what a whole lot of folks have done. There's a difference between your snake and their snake. You're the man God sent. You've got the message of deliverance. You've got the truth. You've got the faith. They don't have it. And before it was all over with Moses, the snake just swallowed right around. He, he crawled right around all on that floor and swallowed up every other snake on that floor. what they're doing out there. I am telling you, if we'll keep our rod on the floor, we'll have Holy Ghost revival in the end time like the world has never seen because we have the message. We have the truth. Our serpent is different than their serpent. Everyone stand up and clap your hands with me if you will. I'm not going to stop preaching this. I'm not going to get rid of this message. I'm not going to sacrifice it. I'm not going to let the devil steal it. I'm going to hold tenaciously to it. Because I know it's the combination of this truth and the anointing of the Holy Ghost that gives me more power than any preacher in all the world who has not the truth. One last illustration while you stand. You guys can come. Now that's California talk. Excuse me. You all can come to them instruments. Y'all. I practice. Y'all come. And, and, and I preach too long. I promise you I won't preach this long tomorrow night unless God tells me to. <laughs> Amen. I'm not good enough shape to preach this long. When the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant, and they took it into their temple, and they put the Ark of the Covenant over there before Ashdod, or Ashdod was the town that their God was Dagon. They took that Ark of the Covenant and set it over there in front of Dagon. They did it for a mockery. 
to the God of Israel. And old David stood up there with his arms crossed and looked down at that little old insignificant Ark of the Covenant. And, uh, they laughed a little bit and went on their way. They came back the next morning and it had never happened this way before. But their God had, had fallen. I've never had to stand my God back up and patch him back up. He's done that to me a few times, and I never had to do it to him. So they passed it back up. Looked around, hoping nobody saw it. There's the little David. And they went out. Hallelujah. They came back the next day. It was worse. This time, their God's head broke off. And their God's hands broke off. And they said, we don't understand if it's coincidence or something, but we better not take any chances. We don't know how much more we can patch him up. Let's get that Ark of the Covenant out of here. The false God could not stand before the Ark of the Covenant. God broke his head off. I'm telling you, every plan, every device, every strategy that comes from the mastermind of hell will be brought to naught. Hallelujah. He broke his hands off. (laughs) He couldn't do a thing. God made him, rendered him harmless. He broke his hands off. There were at least two very special things in the ark. Number one. There was the rod, Aaron's rod that had budded. It was a rod that always represented the supernatural works of the Holy Ghost. From the time that Moses flung it down at the burning bush and it became a serpent, to the times he stretched it across the land of Israel, the ten plagues and the plagues came upon the land of Israel, to the, to the uh, crossing of the water of the Red Sea, and on and on and on. Every time there was a miracle, it was the rod. Even until that old dead stick budded and blossomed, brought forth elements, it represented and showed the testimony of the work of the Spirit in the church. Hallelujah. The other thing that was in there were the tables of stone, which were obviously the representative of the Word of God. Truth, the faith. That was it. The foundation of Israel's belief. There it was. What I am proposing to you tonight Preacher, when that compromising devil comes whispering in your ear, say, get thee hence, Satan. When you go to telling me the way to revival is to let down and let go and give up on some of this preaching, send him down the road and hang on for just a little while longer because Dagon's already beginning to topple. Holy Ghost revival like this world has never seen will come to churches that have held tenaciously To the original precepts of the New Testament church. They have loved it. They have contended for it. And when the storm has raged. And when the enemy has battled against the church. They have dug their heels in. Kept their spirit right. But said no devil. We love this. We're not going to let go of it. And when it is combined with the operation of the Holy Ghost. There is no combination in all the world. That is a 
will give us revival. Let's clap our hands and worship. Let's clap them to the Lord. Everybody.